Hey there, everybody. All my happy innovators out there. How you doing today, huh? I don't know about you, okay? But I've noticed over the past couple years, maybe, okay, that the year 2008 was a very important year. Now, I remember 2008. I remember that year, a little bit at least, and I don't remember it seeming to be any different or special or anything than any other year. But over the past couple of years, I've kind of been hearing a lot about the year 2008. Like, just for example, I was talking to my father-in-law about his work and his business and selling antiques and everything. And he kind of related to me that the industry that he's in changed dramatically in the year 2008. And it was partially due to the whole, you know, housing bubble here in the United States. And that time of this housing bubble bursting in the United States had a ripple effect out into the rest of the economy. And my father-in-law's business took a major hit in that year. And subsequently, since the year 2008, and we're in 2019 now, so for about a decade, there's been this gradual decline in the antiquing world. Okay, and we're talking about, you know, uh, antique photographs, I mean, furniture, everything, there was this ripple effect that hit that industry and a lot of other different industries. Okay. So like I said, the year 2008 came and went and it didn't seem to be too special or different from any other year, but I've been hearing a lot lately about that. You know, this year, 2008, how everything changed, not just from my father-in-law, but on television, on the Internet. If you pay attention, now that I've mentioned it, you'll probably notice it yourself, that you'll hear from time to time that everything changed in 2008. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up, okay, is because... There was another event that took place in 2008 that I think contributed to the problems. And also, I think it serves as a warning for the future. Okay. Now, I'm going to grab a sip of my coffee really quick. Hold on. Oh, man. Okay. So, where was I? So, the year 2008, I don't know if you remember this or not, because people seem to have forgotten about it, but there was a scandal with a company called Enron, okay? And basically what shook down was this company Enron wound up ripping off a bunch of people, okay, like pensioners, They robbed the pensions out of these people's bank accounts, basically. And they left, you know, this massive wave of, you know, retirees struggling 
to survive because they had lost all of their money that was in their pensions because these greedy jackasses at Enron had, you know, pretty much robbed them, okay? And to add insult to injury, the guys who were responsible for that theft wound up walking. They didn't get in any trouble for all the lives that they ruined by being greedy. And that greed, okay, stems from the issue of deregulation. Now, you already know if you listen to the Singularity podcast that I am a political centrist. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican. In fact, if anything, I'm a libertarian. So I support autonomy and freedom and liberty, okay? But being a centrist allows me the perspective, okay, to take ideas from both sides of the aisle because, you know, here in America, really, it's basically a two-party system, okay? They're struggling to get a third party, you know, recognized, you know, it's and it's gradually changing, you know, thank God. But for the most part, it's a two-party system here in America, Democrat and Republican, blue and red. You know, and the country is divided along blue states and red states and all that stuff. And I couldn't care less about any of that. But um, my point is, is that being a centrist allows me to, you know, kind of take the good from one side and take the good from the other and kind of like abandon the rest, right? And deregulation is a hot button issue in politics right now, okay? Because there is the claim, okay, from the more conservative types, the red states, that deregulation must happen in order for the economy to boom, again here in the United States and the Democrats, the blue party. Okay. They're the ones who are kind of always championing this idea of checks and balances. Okay. And I believe in checks and balances. Now, having said that, okay, I have to tell you this, there's a political figure in the United States Okay, but he has had such a major effect on politics here in America. His name is Ralph Nader. He's world famous by now. I'm sure that if you haven't heard of him, uh, you have benefited from his work. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, do you use a seatbelt in your car? Ralph Nader. Okay, do you have clean air to breathe? You can thank Ralph Nader for that. Ralph Nader has been a champion for causes like that. You know, clean air, clean water, um, the warning labels on your food, you know, and the listing of the ingredients. Ralph Nader, okay? Um, And back in the 80s when Ralph Nader was really starting to step up, and this guy, in my opinion is one of the greatest American citizens to have ever lived in this country, okay? I mean, I admire him so much, and I've actually had the chance to meet him and talk to him, okay? And I think that he is just 
the A1 top shelf example of what a United States citizen can be, like the potential for what a citizen can be, okay? And, you know, he ran for president, you know, unsuccessfully a couple of times. And wow, did that really, you know, rock the boat, you know, really pissed a lot of people off when he did that because the Dems claimed that, you know, they lost the elections that he ran in because he was taking votes away from them. And I'm not here to argue that or talk about that because it's not important to me. But the reason I'm bringing Ralph Nader into this is because back in the 80s when he was really kind of on the rise and really active and, you know, really putting a dent in the up until that point, what was probably a highly unregulated industry or economy. Okay, these different companies, different corporations that were, you know, kind of pretty much doing whatever they wanted to. Okay, (laughs) at least from my understanding, okay, Um, which is very limited, by the way, but um, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, So Ralph Nader was a hindrance to the appetites of these, you know, what could probably be perceived as, you know, greedy, (laughs) you know, uh, what irresponsible CEOs, you know, they just don't care about the little guy, okay? They just want to make the dollar. They care about their shareholders, right? Well, along comes Ralph Nader, and he just put the smackdown on a lot of these companies, okay? And Ronald Reagan was elected in, and so began this kind of like what? Undoing of a lot of the work that Ralph Nader had done. Um, Even though that happened, a lot of what Ralph Nader did, did stay in place. You know, like I said, like seatbelts and automobile safety regulations and, um, you know, clean air, clean water, all sorts of stuff. You know, safety in the workplace and those kinds of issues. But in a way, there's a danger in that, too. When that goes too far, okay, so I can understand that. Like, you can't regulate corporations so much that they can't produce because, you know, what? It'll hurt the economy, right? I mean, it's not good to have a stranglehold on corporate America. I mean, you want the economy to work. You want it to ebb and flow. You want it to, uh, you know, function naturally, right? But at the same time, I do think it's important to have regulations. You've got to have limits. You've got to have rules that corporations, these companies, have to follow. Because you have to be mindful of the citizenry. Okay? You can't just go for your shareholders. You need to be held accountable and you need to have safety standards and things like that, safety regulations, in order for the country to succeed, okay? So you need something in the middle, right? Where there are some rules, but they're not so outrageous that they shut everything down, okay? Now, 
when Ronald Reagan was elected president, now this is from my best understanding of history, okay? Um, when Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States and he started to undo a lot of, you know, what Ralph Nader was shooting for, okay, along came this wave of deregulation, okay? Like the stranglehold was too tight and Ronald Reagan came along and, you know, kind of like loosen things up a little bit. Okay. That that's the understanding. Maybe he loosened them up a lot. Okay. But that sounds good and all. Okay. And I agree. Like, like I said, you need to have a balance of rules and freedom. You need to. Okay. It's the core of civilization, right? To have a little bit of both, right? a nice balance and that's the key right like a president or a world leader of any other country like the idea is to not rock the boat too much right so ronald reagan deregulates many 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 things as president and you know you fast forward to 2008 okay the year of enron okay now there's a documentary film about Enron, that if you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend that you watch the movie. It's called The Smartest Guys in the Room, and it is a blow-for-blow account of what happened with the Enron scandal from the beginning until the end, okay? And Enron serves as almost like a parable to mankind of how when a corporation is allowed to run amok and do whatever they want, okay, when they're allowed to cheat, okay, with nothing standing in their way, okay, they serve as the example of how bad it can really get, okay, and let me tell you something, it got really bad, I mean, people were dying because of the shenanigans that this company was pulling. I mean, they were doing these rolling blackouts in California because some jackass at Enron figured out that if you shut the power down on the power grid in California, that you make money. Yeah, they were profiting off of shutting the power down. The problem with that is, okay, that you have people in the state of California that are on life support systems. You have people that are on, you know, different kinds of medical devices in their homes, right? Uh, alarm systems, all kinds of stuff, right? That's attached to the power grid. And when you start playing with that kind of thing, you know, air conditioners turning off on a 90 degree day in, you know, California, uh, you know, Elderly people and people who are homebound and those kinds of things are going to get injured or they're going to die. I mean, you can't play around with that. Yet, yet, these idiots at Enron were doing that and they were doing it to make money. They were doing it for profit. They were killing people, you know. Um, and that's not to mention all the damage they did to the pensioners of different power companies and stuff. I mean, it was just, there were no boundaries, okay? 
And the way I see it is like this, and this is like, if there's a major problem with capitalism, which I don't necessarily think there is, I believe that capitalism is necessary, but unchecked, whoa, watch out, because in a capitalist situation, okay, where the only thing that matters is the dollar or the shareholder or, you know, both, whatever, you know, maybe they're not mutually exclusive, okay? Um, the problem with that unchecked corporate mentality, okay, is that you may have a situation where you're going to do something that's unethical in order to make a dollar, okay? And let's just say for the sake of discussion, you have a worker, you know, that you mandate to them, they are going to do this thing, okay, that's unethical in order to make money. And that worker maybe has a crisis of conscience and says to their employer, I am not going to do this because it's unethical. Well, they fire him, all right, and they yank the other guy that's standing next to him into his position. They make the mandate. Of course, he'll do it because he wants the promotion and he wants the money, right? He wants to score points with his boss or whatever. And he goes ahead and does it and they make their money and, you know, it was unethical, right? Well, then another situation comes up. And even that guy, you know, who was willing to do that other thing, yeah, he has a crisis of conscience and he says, man, that's going too far. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. His boss fires him, right? Pulls the next guy over. They close ranks and they continue on and on and on. And I think, of course, I don't know. It's just an opinion. But from what I have learned and from what I have seen and from what I understand, that cycle had completed so many times in the course of what, maybe 30 years? And then finally you have the year 2008, when everything comes to a head, you know, after decades of unchecked, you know, reckless business practices. And then finally you have this company called Enron that is just off the chain, okay? There are no rules and there are no boundaries and the damage that they levied on the people of the United States is still having a ripple effect now in the Trump administration even, okay? All the way up until this time, this idea of deregulation unchecked, man, just like, you know, anything goes, you know, like uh, playing the economy like a slot machine, you know? Uh, and folks, this is what happened. I mean, you can see this film and they break it down point by point. It's just hard to believe it was ever allowed to happen. Okay. And nobody, nobody talks about it anymore. It's like they forgot about it because it was too long ago. It was 10 years ago, you know? Um, but I think that's BS. You got to remember the past, man. You got to remember your history, you know, and there is a very serious warning, at least in my opinion, that lives in the story of Enron. 
Like I said, it's a parable, right? It's like a parable. Um, this company that just... It just couldn't get any worse. You know, there's... Well, I shouldn't say that. Shouldn't say that. Because it could get a hell of a lot worse than what they did, I'm sure. Now, since Enron happened, okay, that whole scandal and all the damage that was done, there has again been this wave of regulation, you know, checks and balances, like we can't let that happen again, right? But now I'm starting to hear again this kind of belly aching about how we need more deregulation. And I know that Donald Trump campaigned on it. So it's something that's important. Okay. And maybe, okay, maybe uh, I'm wrong. Maybe the rules were too tight again. Okay. Maybe. But I'll tell you what. I start hearing about deregulation. I start hearing that term floating around in the New York Times and on the Internet, you know, social media. I'm immediately like, wait a minute, hang on. Okay, now, like I said, I'm all for liberty. I'm all for freedom. I'm all for the freedom to buy and sell. I am a proponent of capitalism to that degree. Okay, absolutely. So I'm not left or right. I'm kind of like right in the middle on it, you know? need a little bit of both but I have a feeling that there's going to be trouble to come in the next 10 years uh, not because of Donald Trump okay but because it's time again it seems that wave of deregulation is coming and the last time we were here the last time this happened it took a while for it to roll out, okay, and, and blossom into the disaster that it was. And it's in the books. You can check it out. It's there. It's real. It happened. The housing bubble, the economy, the, the financial catastrophes of the year 2008. You know, it wasn't like it all happened in 2008, you know, and prior to that, there were no problems. It's just that's when it came to a head. And that's when people started to die because of the shenanigans that were going on. And I really have a sneaking suspicion, and I probably would even say a little bit of a fear, that what's coming in the future, oh boy, are we in for it, you know? Like, what will they think of next? You know, these, <laughs> for lack of a better term, these monsters, man. They have no regard for the human condition. They, they just don't care. Um, they care about the dollar. And they care about money and their profits. And they care about their shareholders. And that is all there is to say. Except for, okay, what I will say is this. And you'll see this in that film I told you about. The guys that did all the damage... And Enron, they made millions and millions of dollars, like in their personal bank accounts, right? Yet 
these pensioners, these people that had worked 35 years for the power company that had their pension robbed from them, they're still broke. Some of them probably have died by now, maybe committed suicide because they were left with nothing. They're working at Walmart now as a greeter because some jackass from Enron took their pension and he's living in like, you know, New Mexico or something. He's the largest landowner in the United States. Like what? Why were they not made to return that money back to those people? There's a question for you. I don't know if there's an answer, but man, if there was ever an example of, you know, justice not being served, wow. Did those people, those hardworking blue collar people you know, from Michigan or, you know, small town USA that went to the power company every day and did their job, and they did it with diligence and respect and love. In the end, they got screwed with their pants on, you know? And in the meantime, these culprits run off into the horizon with all that money still in their bank accounts. It's probably quadrupled by now in their Swiss bank accounts or whatever. So, yeah, kind of a boring singularity, I guess, today. But the point is, okay, there are two films that you need to see if you have not seen them already. There's a documentary film about Ralph Nader. It's called an unreasonable man, okay? You need to watch that. It's pretty interesting, and it's a lesson in American politics from an angle that you're probably not used to hearing about or seeing, okay? And the second movie is The Smartest Guys in the Room, you know, the story of Enron, okay? I'm pretty sure you can find it on YouTube by now for free. And I'll tell you what, it's probably going to be one of those movies. If you have a heart and you care, it's probably going to be one of those movies you'll need to watch twice. Okay? Just to take it all in <laughs> and just to be able to believe it, that it actually happened. You just will not believe what was going on. So with that, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks... If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.